Thank you, Kevin. I wonder if anyone here used to watch the TV show Lost. So as the show begins, our hero regains consciousness lying on his back in a jungle. The luggage is scattered around him. So he has survived a plane crash. He staggers through the jungle to a beach, finding the main site of the crash. And he staggers through the mess, holding his head, trying to get his bearings. Many people are calling for help. And he just stands there trying to get his bearings. Someone calls out and finally gets his attention and he runs over. This guy's leg is trapped. Our hero calls for help and immediately five people are at his side, lifting the guy to safety. And as it happens, our hero is a surgeon. So, uh, but before he is done tying off the wound, someone else gets his attention. So amidst all of the need, a woman named Claire has gone into labor. Our hero says to her, look at me, you're going to be okay. Our hero calls someone to sit with her, someone named Hurley. He tells Hurley to get him if the contractions go up a notch. As our hero runs off to help the next person, Hurley calls out, what's your name? And Jack, he says. And he keeps running. Jack takes over from someone doing CPR, someone named Boone. You're doing it wrong, says Jack. I'm certified, says Boone. You need to give back the certificate, says Jack. So Jack helps person after person after person. So sometimes we are Jack. We know what needs doing and we take the lead. Sometimes we are Hurley, the guy who helps. We listen for the Jacks and we are there for them. Sometimes we are Boone. We act with best intentions and don't realize that we have more to learn. And sometimes we are Claire. Before we can help, we need to be tended to. Everyone on that beach cooperates as best as they are able but the problems keep coming. How can they best create shelter? Where might they find food and potable water? Sometimes their disagreement breeds distrust. On the TV show Lost, the problems build season after season. So for some of us, the show was an excellent preparation for this pandemic. One more problem comes, one more challenge, one more conflict. And then the question arises, is this a universe in which love can win? As we heard in our Time for All Ages this month, uh, is, there's the Hindu festival of Holi. And Holi celebrates the victory of love over evil. But if we get beyond the mythology and enter the real world, is this victory possible? Is this a universe in which love can win? Does the universe provide hope? Today, we will focus on a simpler version of the problem. So let's put aside the question of evil and put aside the existence of mean people and just ask, 
Can a group of good-hearted people get along? If all 8 billion people on this planet became Unitarian Universalists, could we succeed in living in beloved community? First of all, are we even aiming for the same thing? Do we agree about what heaven on earth looks like? Our sixth principle is that we have the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. We all want world community. And if you don't want world community, that's okay, I'd be glad to talk with you. But let's say we all want world community, but we don't necessarily agree on what world community looks like. Maybe you lived in a hippie commune a few years back. It went great, and you believe that countries should have no borders, doors should have no locks, and someone will eventually get around to doing the dishes. Or maybe your view of world community comes out of Lord of the Rings, where the hobbits, the elves, and the humans get together for special events like saving the world, but otherwise mostly stick to themselves. Does beloved community look like everyone on earth standing in a circle singing Kumbaya? Or does most of the action happen locally in communities of communities? So that's our first challenge. We can disagree about where we are headed. Our second challenge is that we can disagree about how to get there. I was once part of a group of people doing anti-racism work and the group was mostly people of color. The group fell apart because of disagreement about what strategies to use. One person of color wanted to focus on harmful speech to tend to the spirits of the marginalized. Another person of color wanted to focus on free speech because he believed that this would protect the voices of the marginalized. The free speech, harmful speech debate is so charged. And when we disagree so strongly about strategy, is there any hope that love can win? So we can disagree about what success looks like and we can disagree on strategy. The third challenge of 8 billion Unitarian Universalists getting along is that we can disagree on immediate priorities. We can't address all problems at once. We need to make choices. In a hospital, when you compare degrees of urgency, it's called triage. So I am going to coin the term UU triage to refer to our process of choosing priorities. Once we've come to terms with the fact that we can't do everything, what do we do? We each have our own opinion on how to change a light bulb. So imagine the range of our perspectives about a much more complicated problem, where to begin doing the work of justice. It's not only Unitarians who have this problem. In 2006, two people named Holden Karnofsky and Ellie Hasenfield started comparing charities by how effective they were at saving lives. They started an organization called Give Well, with the mission of determining how to most effectively help other people. They found that the best charities weren't just 10% or 20% more effective than others, 
Rather, the range of effectiveness varies according to a power law. The most effective charities are vastly more effective than others. But there was a problem. Only 3% of donors actually care how effective the charity is. 90%, 97% of people donate based on a personal connection or, or habit or a feeling that they should give to some particular cause. So a movement called Effective Altruism was born, made up of people who actually care how effectively their charitable donations are used. And another organization called 80,000 Hours asked the question, how can you most effectively use your time to help others? If you spend 80,000 hours on your career, how should you spend your time so that it has the best impact on the world? Do you make as much money as you can and donate a huge percentage of it to the most effective charity? Do you take a low wage job working in a field that you care about the most? They found that for lasting commitment, it helps to help in an area that you especially care about and not choose your focus based on metrics of effectiveness. So what do we do as a church when we want to have both high impact and lasting impact? What do we do when we highly value individual initiative and surveys also show that there's a demand for doing things together? I'd like to highlight some of the things that we are involved in. So I invite you to think about what you do on your own initiative that you do whether or not the church is involved. So what is an area in which you take action to make the world a better place? And I'd love to see some of your answers in chat. What social justice cause makes you personally take action in the world with your time or money? So give that some thought and you're welcome to post in chat. So UNICEF, working for the environment, anti-racism, voting rights, building houses, LGBTQ plus issues. It's going faster than I can keep up. Human rights, children, Red Cross, voting, hunger, food, helping disabled and neurodivergent people, nature conservancies, conservancies, Portland Rescue Mission, Ronald McDonald House, hospice, reading to children. So keep these coming, this is fabulous. We do so much in this community. And we're not, we're not braggarts, we don't brag about it. We, we go out and we do it. And we try and celebrate what we each do, but we don't always fully celebrate. Look at this fabulous, fabulous list that just keeps growing. Look how much this church does. We don't need to do it in the name of the church. It's not about putting the church at the center. Look at how much work we do when we put the work at the center. It's absolutely fabulous. So you're welcome to keep adding to the list and I'm going to keep going. Um, so we tend to celebrate all of the things that we each choose to do. It's all fabulous. Um, 
but what we choose to do together can be both a cause for celebration and a cause of conflict. So I'll name two commitments that this church has made. The church has made the commitment to be a green sanctuary. For us, uh, respecting the interdependent web of life isn't enough. We also have to take action to support the interdependent web. So we are committed to informing ourselves of threats to the environment, and we are committed to addressing those threats. This doesn't mean that we all have to take action for the environment. Some of us will have other cause areas that remain top priority. It does mean that our social justice actions as a church will include a significant amount of environmental activism. So if you voted against becoming a green sanctuary, it is your right to listen to your conscience and defend your choice. Um, you might see if you can change anyone else's mind and build support for, for your opinion on that. But my opinion is that it would be impolite to bring up your opinion on Earth Day. On Earth Day, when supporters of environmental action are at their most committed and most vulnerable, my opinion is let them have their day. So that brings in a fourth area of disagreement. This is amazing that the chat is still lit up with, with activities people take. Um, so we can disagree about what our ultimate goal looks like. We can disagree about strategy. We can disagree about priorities. And we can disagree about how to behave when we disagree. Do you believe that any time is a good time to express your opinion? Or do you believe in picking your spots and letting people have their day? Another cause area that we have committed to is to be a welcoming congregation. In 2005, we voted to become a welcoming congregation. Uh, so in the 1980s, gay people would ask each other, is that restaurant welcoming or is that museum welcoming? So welcoming became a code word for welcoming people who aren't straight. So that's what welcoming congregation is. So in 2005, we voted to become a welcoming congregation. In 2017, we voted to reaffirm that commitment. In our bylaws, we state our commitment to welcome all gender identities. But we still get feedback that some people don't feel welcome here. And I think that part of the reason is that we are at varying levels of awareness of the challenges faced by those of us with marginalized gender identities. So I have an image of someone who is on fire and they are yelling, help, I'm on fire. And someone walking by says, yelling in public, how rude. So it would be easy to judge the person walking by, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a second. Maybe they heard the yelling, but they didn't hear the words. So let's say you're walking down the street, you're on the phone saving the world's problems, and you don't want to be disturbed by someone raising their voice. So you just vaguely hear someone yelling, you don't look up. We all can't look up at everything. But then you see a sign and the sign says the person is yelling because they're on fire. And now this time it registers and you look up and you help put out the fire. 
So I'm still learning about the challenges experienced by people with various gender identities. I'm still learning who feels like they're on fire. Being a welcoming congregation does not mean that we are experts. Being a welcoming congregation means that we are committed to learning more. Uh, if you're wondering about the challenges of being trans or non-binary, non Google is your friend. The answers are there. When we all appreciate the challenges, we'll have made real progress towards being a welcoming congregation. And how we make that happen is a challenge. Can early adopters speak in a way that is educational without getting people's backs up? Can late adopters feel compassion even if there is disagreement about how to do the work? And can we somehow balance all of the priorities so that other cause areas don't feel left behind even though we've made some special commitments? So we disagree about the goal of world community, what that looks like. We disagree about strategies. We disagree about priorities, even as we have voted on some of them. We disagree about how to talk this through, even as we believe in compassion and we covenant that the spirit in me welcomes the spirit in you. So with so much disagreement, is this a universe in which love can win? If you were a fan of the TV show Lost, one of the things you might have eventually realized was that the show was not going to have a clean ending. The plot was not going to get wrapped up. But what kept me watching was a love for the characters and the community. I knew that whatever predicament they found themselves in, they would do their best and somehow do it together. What gives me hope for this church is our principles. We're aiming for justice. We're aiming for equity. We're aiming for compassion. We value each of our consciences and we value working things out democratically. We don't claim that there are easy answers and we are on an ongoing search for truth, accepting the complexities of whatever we find. I don't know if there ever will be a world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. I don't know if this is a universe in which love can win. I do know that in this shared moment, with a shared commitment to live our principles as best as we are able, there is a sense in which love has already won.